there's so many uh, transitions throughout the day. So I know I said I was going to open up for questions, but I decided I'm just going to cover a topic, and then I'll open up for questions after. <clears throat> so this kind of was inspired um, earlier today. I was talking with someone, we were talking about forgiveness and heart practices, practicing metta, loving-kindness. And so I just thought I would um, bring some of that practice in, and then maybe we'll actually experience some of it instead of just talking about it. So what's called the the Brahma-viharas? Sublime states is considered four, and it's um, and it's I almost said an augmented an augmentation practice, uh, but it's really it's not an augmentation practice. It is a mindfulness practice. It is a liberating practice that the Buddha set out, and he really gave two kind of uh, series of practices. Right? The first was this kind of insight or wisdom practice, this uh, mindfulness awareness like I was giving instruction to, you know, coming back just now, present time awareness. And, you know, that has quite a bit involved in it. And then also uh, is this compassion practice or loving-kindness practice, forgiveness practice, equanimity or balance. It just kind of, it's like a whole other wing. But they really work together. They, they do augment each other, but each one can be a practice of its own, leading to this kind of freedom from heart and mind. I heard it uh, said once that um, you know these four heart practices or sublime abodes can be uh, likened to the four chambers of the heart. You know, it takes all four chambers to work together. All four chambers of the heart to uh, keep this life moving, the blood flowing. Without that, we get ripe and rotten and not stay green and growing, as I was saying earlier. So let me just kind of talk about them as a whole. And I'm actually going to use a, use a little bit of a quote from uh, Niana Panakatera. Niana Panakatera is a German-born, was a German-born Sri Lankan monk who was uh, pretty much responsible for most of what we know <clears throat> here in the West in regards to um, the Buddhist teachings because he uh, lived in Sri Lanka and translated into German also, but uh, into English, many of the Pali Suttas. 
Pali is the language that the uh, Buddhist teachings were first written down in. So uh, it's considered the oldest text. So Nyanaponakatera had this to say. These sublime states, loving kindness, compassion, unselfish joy, and equanimity, uh, these attributes are said to be excellent or sublime because from a Buddhist perspective, they are the right or ideal way of conduct towards ourselves and others. These attitudes are considered the answer to all conflict and or situations arising from social contact. So Nyanaponikatera is saying, the Buddha is pointing to these four qualities being really the way that, that we can interact without pissing each other off too much. If we can keep this uh, heart of loving kindness or this um, really, uh, what I just often say is unconditional positive regard. Sometimes that's just enough, right? Unconditional positive regard for others and self. This uh, quality is like unselfish. Joy is this kind of quality of, of really acknowledging and appreciating other people's good fortune instead of the opposite, right? Envy or jealousy or uh, criticism. Then there's this compassion, which is the compassionate heart that uh, turns towards suffering. And then this last equanimity is I'm actually the one I'm going to be focusing uh, on a bit more, a bit more in depth today. But I think it's important to recognize that uh, there's four of them, not one. And so oftentimes there is the idea of uh, happy, happy, joy, joy. And that that's the only one. And that's actually a delusion. False. Because we need to have positive regard. We need to have a foundation of seeing the positive regard in all things and all people. Um, but we also need to have discernment to see that there is suffering as well. The suffering, and that's where the compassion comes into play. Because without suffering, without the uh, recognition of suffering, the acknowledgement of suffering, we can't actually get free. We have to see it. Otherwise, we just go round and round. So this, so they work together, like the chambers of the heart, like the foundation of a house. We need a solid foundation of positive regard. We need the, uh, the walls, the interior, 
of compassion. We need the uh, appreciation of unselfish joy. And we need the, uh, the balance. We need the equanimity to kind of shelter it all, to keep us level. So this aspect uh, of the word is umpeka, or equanimity. But I just like balance because it's less complicated, you know, balance, balanced heart-mind. It's really one of my favorite aspects of Buddhism. That this teaching allows me to both be engaged in the world, but not overwhelmed by it. So engaged in the world, so I'm going to stay in contact with suffering, with joy, with happiness. In the fleeting or uh, elongated moments, you know, just the way it is. That just now, I love that just now practice because it's constantly changing, flowing. This candle, the flame is constantly reigniting, constantly changing. It's not one flame. It's constantly uh, being reborn again and again and again. The sounds, the fan, the breeze, the you know shifting, the thoughts. The, the sensations in the body constantly changing, right? Did you guys notice that? Maybe you got pissed off about it at one point. God, the mind just stopped thinking. <laughs> Would people stop walking in the hallways, driving by? Can't you tell I'm trying to meditate here? <laughs> I had this, uh, there's this quick story I'll tell along those lines. This, um, this elderly man, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's relative now, actually. But when I first uh, heard the story, was, he was from the city, and he was having a really hard time with meditation, and so he thought, I'll go to this cabin in the woods. And it was the kind of cabin that you got to drive to, and then the road stops, and you got to take your stuff, and you got to hike a little bit. Not far, but like a, it was like a, a quarter of a mile, something like that, to the cabin. So he was talking, this is actually a real life story, right, of a man that he was in his 60, late 60s. And um, so he got all his stuff, and he was going on retreat, you know, to this cabin. And he gets to the cabin, it's a little rickety, kind of run down, but he's really stoked, right, because it's quiet, and it's away from people. So he gets to the cabin, and it's simple, there's a wood-burning stove, and, you know, there's a nice uh, brook, there's a nice little stream, kind of just right outside the window, nice good tree cover, he had a nice porch, hammock, you know, sounds nice, right? Settles in, meditates, you know, throws all the stuff, meditates, you know, feels, oh yeah, this is great, I'm going to get some deep meditation happening here. Next day he gets up prepared for meditation, he starts to uh, get in through the day, you know, eating when he's hungry, and uh, meditating, and walking on the porch, and taking, you know, walks in the forest, and getting slowing down a little bit. By the second day, he starts to notice, man, that stream's really loud. It's like babbling the whole time. It doesn't stop. At night, it's just babble, babble, babble. 
throughout the day. Babble, babble, babble. The birds, you know, man, they're so loud. Those blue jays, they sound like pterodactyls, <laughs> you know, swooping down. And the trees, like they're always dropping those little, those little pine cones or those little acorns or whatever down on the roof, making me jump and get startled. Fourth day, terror. He was like, couldn't meditate all day with the babbling brook, the birds, the damn, the wood burning stove. I have to like make this like wood and go get it and chop it. And, you know, he was just having a horrible time. Fifth day, he recognized that all things are changing all the time. And he was able to see his mind state. And he was able to see that, yeah, what started off as, oh, peaceful and calm was just as loud and annoying as the city and the honks and the red lights and the, you know, rude checker. And then he packed up his stuff and he hiked back to his car, drove back down the mountain. And he started uh, the rest of his practice. So this just now is, is about, can we just be with what is? And sometimes that means, can we be with a broken heart? Can we be with deep loneliness? Can we be with, you know, that also? Because that's really what we're talking about here. The Buddha taught about umpeka, equanimity, talked about it this way. That uh, Umpeka establishes, well actually this isn't, no, this is uh, Nyanaponika Teta talking about Umpeka from the Buddhist perspective. Umpeka establishes an even or balanced mind in an unbalanced world with fluctuating fortunes and circumstances, gain and loss, fame and ill repute. I like that word, ill repute. Praise and blame, pleasure and pain. Umpeka, or uh, equanimity, or balance, also looks upon all beings impartially as heirs to the results of their own actions without attachment or aversion. Umpeka is the serene neutrality of the one who knows karma. The one who knows karma. So this, it's often called the eight worldly winds, right? Fluctuating fortunes and circumstances, gain and loss, fame and ill repute, praise and blame, pleasure and pain. All the same. All the same. Can we uh, ride the waves? There was some like 
I can't remember who it was, Krishnamurti or some kind of maybe some yogi guy from the, like the 70s and 80s who uh, was like life life is like the ocean full of waves learned to surf and he was like doing like tree pose on a big surfboard and he actually was doing tree pose on a big on a like a long board can't remember the, the yogi's name but it's not really what matters what matters is that idea of like can we learn to surf with all the crap that is coming at us all the time The reason why I think this is such a revolutionary practice, and it has been for me, is because um, the crap doesn't keep doesn't stop coming, actually. But what does happen is that we learn to see it as benefit. We learn to see it as practice. We learn to see it as um, not always right away, right? Sometimes <laughs> it takes a while. But it's a, that's the important piece, yeah. That we have to be able to address uh, all of the changes. I tried to be blissed out, you know. I did. Took a bunch of acid, smoked tons of weed, drank till my belly hurt. Didn't work. Because I would sober up. Because my, uh, my, sometimes my blissful acid trip would turn into a really bad acid trip. Like Freddy Krueger. I'm not going to get into that story, but it's pretty intense. And so that didn't work, right? That was an extreme. It was a grasping for pleasure. So the Buddha is talking about Umpeka is the serene neutrality of one who knows karma. Another way of talking about karma is just what is what. And that each person, as as it says here, is heir to to the results of their own actions. Each person is heir to the results of their own actions. So equanimity is a perfect, unshakable balance of mind rooted in insight. Some people consider this kind of like wisdom. But this is uh, an expression of wisdom, equanimity. Equanimity is often the um, the end of lists. So like the ten perfections, it's at the very end. Uh, this list of Brahma Viharas is at the very end. Pointing to uh, an enlightened mind, an awakened heart-mind, is equanimous. So that means we can go through life without... And it's not like, we, you know, in the way I see it, it's not like uh, we're not being shaken still. We still get shaken, but we find balance very quickly. We're not numb. I used to think equanimity meant numb. I did. When I first used to hear about, oh, balance with all things, the waves, and, you know, I can just stay afloat like a buoy or, you know, whatever. I used to think, oh, just not affected by 
all that's going on. And that's not actually what we're, what's being talked about, as I've come to understand. Because uh, that's another thing that happens here and can happen here is um, meditation practice can become the way to get away from the world. I actually met a guy once in Thailand who uh, his I was talking to him. He was Thai, and he was saying, "My wife and my family got overwhelming, and I lost my job, and so I became a monk." <clears throat> I became a monk as a way to, you know, look deeper. But also, he he was very clearly saying that he was he was avoiding the kind of difficulty that his life was presenting him. I think that this happens a lot. In um, could you could you close the door all the way, please? We have to do something about that door. But I'm okay with it, you know. <laughs> Fully balanced in my heart, mind. Um, where was I? Oh, that. So that there's a way in which people can come to practice as a way of avoiding the pain of their life. Like we can just be calm and peaceful and easy and you know what's that song like easy like Sunday morning right bullshit just sit for a period of time and you'll see the mind out of control moral inventory machine of the mind is what uh, Sylvia Bornstein talks about sit quiet breathe and it will come up because it's supposed to. Because this is a purification practice. And it means the only way out is through. Through the mud. Through the muck. Through the challenge. So looking at the world around us, right, and looking in our own hearts, we see clearly how difficult it is to attain and maintain a balanced mind. And this is where I feel like my um, my friends have adopted this phrase, and I've, I've adopted it too, just keep going. It's this idea of like just we need to encourage ourselves to keep going or be encouraged as a group. To keep going. When it gets difficult, keep going. Just now. As a matter of fact, that's that piece around not being overwhelmed by the world. Can I just be with now? Whatever it is. Painful? Can I just be with the painful that's now? Joyful? Can I be with the joyful that's now? And not worry about that it's going to go. This is equanimity. So I experienced this in my own practice as the cycles of suffering and awakening. Suffering and awakening. When uh, you get caught in some kind of suffering, some, some attachment, some grasping to an idea or a, a 
damn door needs to be closed, right? I mean, that's, you know, just a right now experience. It's not really. But, right? I'm not really suffering because of it. But there, but maybe, actually, maybe a slight, there's a slight level of dissatisfaction with the fact that the door keeps popping open or something. And it, it pops open, right? That's, see, that's my karma. Right? Uh, it's very strange. We don't have to, okay. So, the idea of, um, the suffering that can get created out of the mind grasping to the idea of the door must be closed, right? And then the awakening is seeing that there's the grasping and then letting go. That's really it. Mind experiencing pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral and then having some awareness of that. This is the cycle of suffering and awakening in the simplest form. Actual quote from the Buddha, from what's called Udana, which is um, some later teachings that are in the, the conical teachings, right? The texts. For one who clings, motion exists. But for one who clings not, there is no motion. Where no motion is, there is stillness. Where stillness is, there is no craving. Where no craving is, there is neither coming nor going. Where no coming nor going is, there is neither arising nor passing away. Where neither arising nor passing away is, there is is neither this world nor the world beyond, nor a state in between. This, verily, is the end of suffering. So in this quote, in this teaching, the Buddha is giving us the freedom from suffering. What is freedom from suffering? I'll read it again, in case you missed it. For one who clings, motion exists. But for one who clings not, there is no motion. Where no motion is, there is stillness. Where stillness is, there is no craving. Where no craving is, there is neither coming nor going. Where no coming nor going is, there is neither arising nor passing away. Where neither arising nor passing away is, there is neither this world nor the world beyond, nor a state between. This, verily, is the end of suffering. reminded me of another well I won't I'll stop there actually for now and open up for some questions is that, is that motion 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 yeah which made me think of ocean actually and then I was going to read another teaching from the Buddha but I, I maybe I'll get back to it but yeah there's motion not ocean so speaking on karma 
and I'm aware that this is a pretty rudimentary question, but you're talking about people being the heir to the results of their own actions, and that's just not something that I believe. Mm -hmm. um, there are plenty of bad things happening to people that don't deserve it. I mean, there's genocide going on on the other side of the world right now, and I'm wondering, is there another way to conceive of karma mm. that accounts for that? Well, so... Great question, by the way, um, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Um, and it's actually a question that I've had trouble with in the past and uh, asked other teachers about, like, what do you mean? What about the, you know, Uganda? What about, you know, all, Gaza Strip? What about, all, you know, all these different, you know, atrocities that are happening, right? So <clears throat> what happens in the world isn't all karma. That some things, like natural disasters, tsunamis, you know, there, there's, there's things that are happening that aren't karmic related. Right? Now that being said, so not everything is karma or the result of karma. Um, and that's really all I can speak on that particular piece because it's very complicated and I don't know if I buy all of it anyway. But the idea of you have to karma and rebirth go hand in hand. So the idea of um, what happens to a, a person throughout their life, and um, some could say to a people throughout their 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 life, that takes expression. One of the ways I'll give you a simple. Um, Version. One of the ways it's described in the in the uh, teachings in the texts, and I want to also just preface this by saying, if you don't believe it, don't believe it. Throw it out. You don't have to buy anything. I'm saying you really don't. And the Buddha was really clear about that too, right? So, but this is the way I understand it. So, if someone is miserly in one life. And they're greedy and uh, they're coveting and they're, you know, that they may be born in another life, um, like deformed because of the, the quality of miserliness that get, finds expression in the next life. Now, it's not the same person is born, but that there is that karmic expression that finds a way that has to be released moving forward. And so, in that understanding, um, barring, you know, sexual abuse and, you know, the, I mean, there's a lot of atrocities that, that take place, but that is one of the ways, like, to talk about kind of deformity or um, childbirth, like childbirth, or why are some people born hunchback, or, you know, that it, that it, it has some expression, yeah, in the karmic uh, momentum from one life to another life from one but another way to really look at karma is can we be as loving kind caring as possible in this life and reap the karmic reward from that the other way to look at it I think the Dalai Lama likes to say this too um, is you know the how sad he is about the karma that's being created by the Chinese soldier 
who beats and oppresses the Tibetan monk. And how so many of the Tibetan monks have forgiveness and loving kindness in their heart and sometimes have cried, are tearful of the amount of karmic momentum that the soldier is acquiring and like sad about it. So uh, it goes, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh actually has a really beautiful poem um, about the uh, riverboat captain. I want to invite you to look that up because I think it talks really good, really good about this piece. Maybe I'll bring it next week. So yeah, it's a complicated, you know, nuance of what you're talking about. And um, on some level, though, we have to ask, like, okay, can we be engaged with it without being overwhelmed by it? Can we be open to the idea that? the actions that one produces in the world has consequences. That's, that's really all that we're talking about. Without putting a face or a name on it, really. Atrocities happen across the world and will never stop. Buddhism isn't actually saying peace, love, and... Uh, well, I was going to say free drugs, but... Peace, love, and like, you know, utopia. Buddhism never has said that. That is unrealistic. That is delusional from the Buddhist perspective. What, what the Buddha is saying is free your, free your heart, free your mind here and now so that we don't need to be born again into this world of suffering. Now, what that means, I actually don't know what that means. And I'm not even going to try to figure it out. And I invite you to not try to figure it out either. (laughs) Because what the Buddha talked about is that leads to vexation and craziness. There was a question in the back there. Um, I was going to kind of add to your question and thoughts about karma. Because it's something that I've thought about a lot too. And I'll probably try to be crazy if I think about it too much more. (laughs) It will, actually. But um, I was just thinking about how when people are, like, abusive to other people, for example, mm-hmm. it's oftentimes because they were abused. And I mean, that that's a broad statement that is not totally accurate. Right. Based on research. Well, that's what I can say. It's always yeah. because. Okay. Often. Often, often yeah. Often it can be yeah. because they were also abused. Yeah. And but basically, I just feel like conditions that are created have so many different influences in the world and in the past leading up to those conditions right. that it's hard to understand how to like totally take responsibility for something or place responsibility on one person yeah. or something. That's right. That's right. I mean, especially in the, and I didn't mean to shut you down around that, but I've actually done a lot of work around sexual abuse and like survivors of sexual abuse and who are the abusers and, um, and yeah, it's hard to, you can't just point a finger, you know, because we have generations and generations of conditioning on some level, you know, same thing with, um, genocide in, you know, the Ukraine or, you know, I mean, what, you know. What's, what's happening? 
as generations and generations, yeah, of of oppression, of um, fascism. Uh, you know, I mean, there's just so much, right? So, exactly in the idea of you can't just point a finger at one particular. But what you can do is you can see, wow, that's there's a lot of suffering there. And how can I be compassionate towards that? How can I free my own heart and mind? Because really, what else can you do but free your own heart and mind? And not carry on that karmic momentum. So, just one, just one little kind of piece about that. Because um, like the pointing the finger or the taking responsibility. Sometimes, so there's this way in which... Uh, it's talked about that karma is, and this wasn't, I wasn't wanting to have a karma talk, but I said it, so it's, it is the teaching of the Buddha. I could bring it in. But it's, um, it's said that, that karma is like a stream, right? Or sometimes it's, you know, like the way the, the, the conditions are such that it's actually easy to alter the stream. You could just put a couple of rocks up, make a little dam, and it'll go a different direction. But sometimes the karmic momentum is so strong, it's so heavy, that all you can do is hold fast. That's all you can do is, is allow the conditions to play themselves out. And then eventually, as all things do, arise and pass away. So when it becomes less, then we can make an alter, you know, we can, we can alter the path, our own path. So it's really present time. Can we deal with what's arising? We don't know. You don't know. You, the, whatever the difficulty is, the suffering, we actually don't know. We can't know how far back it goes, how many generations, how many lifetimes. You know, uh, there's this other piece in the Buddha, and I'm going to paraphrase it. It's a Jack Cornfield quote. Um, it's... It's like saying, you know, beings are numberless. I vow to free them all. Not possible. It's a part of the Bodhisattva vow. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them all. So this is saying, like, we're just going to keep doing the work that we can do. Right. It's a compassionate response. The other, there's another Jack Cornfield, um, eloquent kind of root. Way of saying that lifetimes, the way we view lifetimes, uh, from the Buddhist perspective, from cos- the cosmological perspective, is that um, if you consider see a mountain, it's like um, I can't remember kalpas and eons and like seventeen eons in a kalpa, and, and that's like who knows what that means, right? But one of the ways it was described is it's as if every Hundred years, a stork or an eagle with a sash hanging out of his um, or her uh, uh, beak was to fly over the top of a mountain and just wear away that much of a mountain, as much as it would take for that mountain to disappear is the expansion of of time of you know past and future so these like I think they're called mahakalpas now I'm totally like not making it up but I'm just I, I, I don't remember exactly what the like the you know the 
figure of speech was. But like the, a long time. Way, way longer than our hundred years, if we're lucky. Right? And so to just think about that. And even just think about the last hundred years. How much has changed? So, just to kind of broaden the perspective of uh, karma isn't necessarily right now. It is. But it's, but it's also this larger, larger perspective. But what can we do is stay focused just now on what's happening within my heart, within this world, within this room, and we can act compassionately. We don't need to overreact. We don't need to be to, to we don't need to be attached to the result of action. That's the other thing, right? Compassionate action, non-attached. Try that one out. I'm going to be really compassionate to you, but I I'm, I really want to get some something in return for my compassionate action, please. I'm expecting it actually. Taco. Okay. I'm sorry, you had a. Well, I, I just had a comment. You okay, said, you said some of the stuff already. Okay. okay. Mahakalpas, you, you you know that one? And if you, well, you're talking about you know uh, Carmen, how uh, how you uh, relates to the meta practice and uh-huh. the Yeah. You know, which I only you know I'm only thinking of all this stuff too, but me too. Thinking about uh, uh, you know I used to be uh, an activist for change. World, uh-huh. kind of an angry activist. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, really, it's a lot. A lot of I want you to change. I want you to change. I right. want you to change. Right. The world's messed up. I yes. want you to change. Yeah. And you know, that's doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't <laughs> achieve anything. Right. You keep doing that, and you just keep being angry. Because the world's not going to friggin' change. It's not going to change. I mean, it might, it will change, I mean, but it's not going to change the way you want it to change because you want it to change. Just because I want it to change. You know, the thing you come back, I come back to is, is, is what's the one thing I can work on? That's myself. Right. You know, I can work on the way I perceive the world. I can work on my reactions. Right. And I can see things like, you know, I mean, even I just had an example from today that this fits really well. It's like I was uh, driving around trying to find a parking spot and it was really crowded. Lot. And I was sitting there waiting for a spot, and the guy pulls out, and another guy comes racing in, zooms in, Did and I him? honk my horn, and he's like, he's like, screw you, screw you, you know, like, and right. like that sort of reaction. And I'm getting angry, you know, I want to punch him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing. And Just hearing it, I want to punch him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at that reaction, going, I don't know where he's coming from. I don't know where he's going to. I don't know why he's got this rush. Right. I know where I'm at, and I know I'm carrying this anger now right. towards this person who I don't even know. Right. And and that anger can keep going. I can keep sending that anger to the next, right. next person. Yeah. You know, next person you see with a car that's just like that guy. Right. This is like, <laughs> or 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 because I'm standing in line at the checkout counter, and I'm still angry. I can take it out on that next person. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and then you can start seeing this chain of events start going down from that. You know, and, and again, so I keep coming back to, I can work on myself. I can yeah. go, why am I angry about that? I can stop that process right there. And and then I've affected a more positive reaction to right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's, that gets, you, you just gave a much better example of my door suffering example. <laughs> because that's what I'm talking about. It's the cycles of suffering and awakening. So you were, you know, there was a suffering, there was conditions that caused 
a level of suffering for you. Or before the parking spot appeared, actually, the parking spot appearing was a, a, a some kind of hope, an oasis of hope, right? <laughs> and then stamped out by the greed right. of another, which then infuriated you, right? And then seeing the suffering of that. And the clinging to that, I'm right, just it's like not that. Taking that on itself, too. Right. It's the anger. That's right. Not part of that. That's, right. That's me pointing myself and expecting yeah. somebody else to be yeah. harmed by it. That's, that's right. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So this idea. So I, anyway, I was just you know, there was a great example of seeing seeing the suffering and then letting it go, which is yeah, <laughs> sure. It could take lifetimes, right? It could take lifetimes. So we we, we need to end. Yeah. We need to end now. Uh, I, great discussion. You know, I'll maybe come back around to focus on um, on karma a little bit more and unpack it from a sutta perspective, from the kind of text perspective. Um, it's 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 nuanced. Karma and rebirth. You don't actually have to believe it. It just is. But what what is important is to see. Like this example of uh, causes and conditions as they're playing themselves out throughout your day, throughout your life. Uh, are you caught, entangled, and attached? Or are you uh, able to let go or to be neutral and, uh, and find some freedom? Just that practice. Just that practice. The thing I didn't, also didn't get to, maybe I'll talk about it next time, is... Um, Forgiveness, what I call the fifth Brahma Vihara. <laughs> because even though uh, the Buddha didn't give it as a particular um, teaching, it is interwoven in the sublime states, right? This idea of forgiveness. And so my uh, invitation for you is to, like, and even like this example, right? Um, Maybe there's two ways to do it. One is to start where you actually are starting with asking forgiveness. Because we've all caused harm. If you haven't, wow. Come, come talk to me. <laughs> so this idea of please forgive me. And then we need to extend. And then extending. We don't need to, but we can. Extend forgiveness out. I forgive you. Just maybe in the world. Or specifically. And then I forgive myself. That's the important piece that you were talking about. So like this guy, right? You know, please forgive me for getting angry. I forgive you for stealing my parking space. I forgive myself for beating myself up about being angry. You know, that kind of thing. Like, so just play with that. Please forgive me. I forgive you. I forgive myself. So we're going to end now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.